this year at UAH is I'm spending the whole year with our students. We, ha- we meet on Thursday nights. We have our large group um, on Thursday nights. And students come out, and I, and I preach, and we have worship, and we have um, all of that kind of thing. And I'm going through the one story of the Bible over this whole year. We're, we're about to end it this week, and then they have finals. It's hard to believe I'm at the end of my first year. Um, but what we've been doing is tracing along how the Bible is one story, how it fits together from Genesis to Revelation. We're just saying of age to age he stands, beginning and the end. And so what I'm trying to show our students is how uh, the Bible gives us a, um, a very healthy view of God and how he is eternal from eternal past to eternal future, but also where we come into the story. I'm trying to help them see how this story of the Bible um, gives our stories purpose and meaning and how our stories fit into this story. And so we're trying to weave all that together. Um, what we've kind of traced along through the year is the one story of the Bible is this. It's the story of a loving father who would stop at nothing to be reunited with his lost children. So we traced that in the fall through the Old Testament, and then this semester we came to the New Testament. And one of the things that I've seen this semester as we've kind of looked at the, the second act to the story, the New Testament, is it's the same story. You ever been to a play, a big play, and the curtain closes at the end of Act 1, and then there's the intermission? Act 2, if it's any good, if it's a good play, is not altogether different than Act 1. Same characters, same plot, same setting. But this time, there's probably going to be more excitement in the second act. Uh, There's more um, that kind of makes sense of the story. Well, that's what Act 2 is. We're coming to a passage this morning that is the beginning of Act 2. John chapter 1 opens up and brings us into God's story. And it's the beginning of Act 2. And so I want to um, bring you into our discussion, what, what we are discussing with our students this semester. And we're going to look this morning at how the second act begins in John chapter 1. If you're into outlines, here's going to be the outline. Um, we're basically going to look at the setting of the second act. And the setting, uh, the first point will be the setting of God's story. The second point will be Uh, the setting of God's word, and the third will be the resetting of your story. We're going to look together at John chapter 1 to consider this. The first five verses. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord will stand forever. Let's pray. God, our Father, you are worthy, worthy, worthy of our praise. Lord, there's nothing better for us to do at this point than to consider your worthiness, your holiness. I pray that we would be uh, changed because we're here this morning. Thank you for the Village Church. Thank you for the work that you're doing in these lives and in these homes and in these communities, in this place. Lord, thank you um, that I can be here this morning. Lord, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts together would be pleasing in your sight, that you would be exalted. Holy Spirit, we ask that you fill this place. Um, Lord, that you would make your word effective in our hearts this morning. We ask for your glory alone. Amen. Every story has a setting. Every good movie, every play, every book that you're into, every TV show, everything has a setting. Your story has a setting. 
And each of your settings are different than my setting. Each of your settings are different. This morning, our setting is in common, right? We're here. We're in this room, this place. Uh, we, we call it a sanctuary. Um, we're coming in from various weeks and various backgrounds, but currently we're sharing this setting, right? Now, your individual settings are all very different. Some of you are coming from terrible weeks. You may have had an awful weekend. Maybe this morning was just brutal for you. Uh, I know how Sunday mornings can be. We have two daughters. Sunday mornings are difficult, way more difficult than I thought uh, before I had two daughters. And getting out the door means that there's a lot of drama that's going to take place on a Sunday morning. So maybe you're coming from from that this morning. Or maybe, you know, you're just in a bad season of life right now, a very difficult place, uh, whatever's going on in your life and in your home. But maybe that's not your setting. Some of you may be in maybe some one of the best seasons of your life today. I mean, it really, you may be in a good time. You love your career right now. You love the, the work that you have. Your family's kind of in a in a good place. Whatever the case is, I want you to have your setting in mind this morning. I want you to identify kind of where you are in life because everyone has a setting. All of our settings are different. And this story here begins with a setting, doesn't it? In the beginning was the word. But what's interesting about this setting of John chapter 1 is this setting, the very first three words take us back to another setting, the setting of all settings, doesn't it? In the beginning, this this may be your first day in church ever. Even if it is, you might be familiar with those words in the beginning, because it takes us back to another setting, Genesis chapter one. I, I want us to revisit that setting first. I'm saying setting a lot. I'm realizing this because that setting of Genesis one is really the setting that makes sense of all of our stories, too. So let me do this. I'm going to read the first verses of the Bible. Um, for a minute. You don't have to turn there. You can if you want. I want to read the very first setting to make sense of ours. Here it is. The first few verses of Genesis says this, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. God saw the light was good and he separated the light from the darkness He called the light day and the darkness he called night. There was evening and there was morning the first day. You ever been in a really, really dark place? I don't mean spiritually. Um, I actually mean dark place. Picture the darkest moment of your life, physically like in a room, one of those rooms with no windows, there's no cracks under the doors letting any light in, one of those darknesses where you you can't see your hand in front of your face, one of those darknesses that... If you think about it, it seems to just keep getting darker and darker and darker, like pulsatingly darker. Um, Okay, get that in mind. Imagine walking through the woods at night, and it's that kind of darkness. And you have a flashlight in your hand that you're walking, and the flashlight begins to flicker, 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 and it's out. And you're walking and the woods are dark and you're hearing the leaves crunch under your feet and you're trying to avoid the trees, but you have nothing but this darkness to guide you. And then imagine that all of a sudden you start to realize you're not hearing the leaves under your feet anymore. It's kind of, you can't really feel anything. You're not touching trees anymore. And and imagine that as you start to think about it, you're actually not standing on anything. You're just kind of there. There's nothing surrounding us, nothing but darkness. Now, if you can... uh, 
if you can get the horror of that moment out of your mind, the fear that would come with something like that, that's kind of what the setting was in Genesis chapter 1. Nothing but darkness and nothingness. There was no form. That's what the Bible tells us. There was only darkness and absolute emptiness before Genesis. Nothing existed before God created. Nothing existed except God and nothingness. That's actually the original setting of all stories. Formlessness and darkness. It's important for us to get that idea in mind because that's actually the setting of your story too before God speaks into it. Before anything existed, it was just God. He existed as uh, the three persons, the Godhead three in one that we just sang about. Father, Spirit, Son, in perfect eternal relationship with one another from all eternity past. But that was it, just God. But by His grace and simply for His glory alone, no other reason, but for His glory, God spoke into the darkness. And He created. He created us. He created the form and He spoke into it. He created the heavens and the earth. By the power of his word alone, he spoke. And his word carried the light that scattered all of that darkness away. That's the story, the setting of every story that's ever been told. It's the setting of the one story of the Bible, and it's the setting of your stories too. You're here because God spoke into the emptiness. Our existences have purpose Because God spoke them into existence. All of you. Your life has meaning. And it has purpose. Because God spoke into the darkness. You have the job that you have. Because you want to contribute to the form that God has created in this world. If you're a student. If you're in school. It's because you are learning and you're growing in your intellect and you're growing in your skills so that you can also contribute to this form of this planet that God spoke into existence. We have family and we have friends and we eat and we play and we rest because God is relational and He created us to do those things. He made you and His setting gives your life purpose. For your life, for your family, for your career, for your marriage. You have purpose and you have hope because of what happens now in the second act. This time in John, not Genesis, we, we begin with the same words, don't we? In the beginning, but then there's a different fourth word this time. In the beginning was the word. In the Greek, it literally just reads, in the beginning, the word. The word just appears where God did in Genesis 1, in the beginning, God. Now it's in the beginning, the word. In these opening words of John's gospel, we see something that was a little harder to see in Genesis. Something is revealed here in this beginning of the second act that was only hinted at in the old. Because in the old, God spoke by the word of his power, but now it is his word that is speaking so to speak. Let's work that out a little bit. We learn in these opening moments of this second act that the most, the single most dramatic and amazing 
And the single most important event in all of human history is happening right here. Because the one who existed before anything else existed, the one who spoke before anything was, he is now writing himself into the story. The one for whom everything was made that has been made is now entering into what he made. Y'all, this is amazing. And everything's going to change. Uh, several weeks ago, my wife and I watched a um, documentary on Netflix called The Queen of Versailles. Um, it's one of the saddest movies I've ever seen. I don't necessarily recommend it. I don't not recommend it. I don't know. You can watch it if you want. But let, let me tell you a little bit about it. The Queen of Versailles is this, this documentary about this family called the Seagulls. Uh, that's their name. They're um, down in Florida. Uh, they live today. Um, the Seagulls were uh, one of the most wealthy families in America. Now, the documentary kind of follows their life from 2008 to 2011. David Siegel is the CEO of this um, hugely successful timeshares company. He uh, actually, when they were filming this at the very beginning, they were building what was to become the, single, the largest single-family home in all of America. It was going to be 86,000 square feet. Um, this family had it all. They had vacation homes across the world. They had dinners with A-list celebrities and world leaders. They had the best clothes you could ever imagine. They had tons of maids and um, drivers working for them. In fact, their drivers were millionaires. If that tells you anything. Um, they had it all, the, the um, Siegel family. In 2008, when the documentary began, it was just kind of to show this very wealthy family as they were building this big home. But something happened in 2008. Maybe some of you remember it's called the collapse of our economy as we know it. Um, many of us felt it in, in big ways. My wife lost her job in 2008 because of the economy. Uh, she was in real estate. Um, we felt it. You guys felt it probably in various ways. None of us felt it like this family did. Because when the economy collapsed and everything, the, it killed the timeshares company. And so the Seagulls lost everything. They um, had at one time the largest, um, the largest building on the Vegas Strip, and they foreclosed. They were building these amazing buildings all across the world, and they had to stop construction, and they lost money. The 86,000-square-foot home that they were building, they had to auction it off. They started selling off their clothes one piece after the next, and they were having yard sales, and they were dropping off tons of clothes like good, good clothes, name brand stuff at, at thrift stores, hoping to, to make a little money off of it. it. It started to be really sad, actually. You're watching this family just fall apart and lose everything. They didn't even know how to cook their own food, but they had to get rid of their cooks, so they had to learn how to cook. They didn't know how to clean their house. They didn't know how to take care of their animals. It was just kind of a sad scene to watch. The uh, lead guy, David Siegel, he actually described... He said, this is a film not about a rich family, but instead, he said, this is a family going from riches to rags. And it's true, they really lost everything. The Seagulls didn't choose this. No one would. Not one of us would choose to trade in our, uh, our maids and our drivers and our cooks for something like this. We wouldn't give up our limos and be homeless and hungry. No one would. And y'all, that's why John chapter 1 is so dramatic. This is why John chapter 1 is so dramatic, because no one would leave that kind of lifestyle for the one that they are living in now. No one would choose that. 
No one would choose to trade in their riches for rags. No one, of course, but Jesus. This story begins on such an incredibly dramatic note. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was God, and the Word was with God in the beginning. We will never understand and appreciate the gospel, the goodness of the gospel, until we begin to consider what Jesus left in order to enter this picture. The riches that he laid aside in order to take on our rags. We will never understand the good news of the gospel until we think about what Jesus gave up to enter our stories, y'all. The setting of God's word was eternity past. Rich and glorious and free. Jesus was in this heaven, this eternal relationship, pleasing and satisfied. He lacked nothing and he left it all. He set it aside to insert himself into this story as its central character. To insert himself in your story as the hero. From riches to rags, Jesus came. And as verse 14 of John chapter 1 goes on to say that the word became flesh and he made his dwelling among us. Jesus Christ is the word of John chapter 1. The one who was with God in the beginning. The one who created He is the word that enters the story to fix all that had been broken. Um, There's an old famous hymn by Charles Wesley that you may sing here where he says, He left his father's throne above, so free, so infinite his grace, and emptied himself of all but love and bled for Adam's helpless race. Are you beginning to see why this second act of the story is the most dramatic and most wonderful moment that's ever happened where the creator entered his creation where he traded his riches for rags the one who spoke it all into existence now enters the story and breathes in the air that he created himself and c.s lewis famously said if you want to get a picture of how dramatic this is imagine yourself choosing to become a slug on the ground but jesus didn't just become part of the story did he He didn't just step into the story to be a friend or to be another character. He came to live as the central character of the whole thing. The one who wrote the story now writes himself into the storyline. And his life as the central character means everything for your stories too. In fact, your story is reset because Jesus entered into it. Your life is giving a new setting, a new meaning, a new purpose, and a new hope because Jesus writes himself into your story. Your life matters because the Creator thought so well of you that he came. Even your week is reset. Maybe you are coming from a terrible week. Your week is reset because Jesus has entered the story. I mentioned a play earlier. If you've ever been to a play... Uh, When intermission comes, everybody kind of stands up and goes to the bathroom or gets some food or whatever. And there's kind of that interval moment where um, you're just kind of waiting for the second act to begin. And if if the music wasn't playing, you would hear that there's a lot that actually happens on the stage behind the curtains, right? 
There's a lot of shuffling around. There's a lot of feet moving back there. They're changing the backdrop. Maybe they're setting up new props. And, and then when the, the curtain opens at the very beginning of the second act, often everything is very different. It's still the same play, but the second act has a new setting and it makes everything different. The intermission to God's story is over when John 1 begins. The curtain has now reopened and you will never guess who just walks on the stage. The central character has walked in front of the stage and now everything is different. He has come, he has entered the story and everything changes because Jesus has come. You remember what we said was the setting of all settings. The original setting of all the stories was two things. It was darkness and it was emptiness. But then God spoke. And as dramatic as Genesis chapter 1 is, when God spoke into that darkness and he gave form to the void and he gave light into the utter darkness, as dramatic as that is, the creation story is really only a hint of the drama that comes now in John chapter 1. Because once again, by God's grace and for his glory alone, for no other reason, God speaks into the darkness. And for his glory, God gives form to the emptiness. By the power of God's word alone, he spoke, and his word carries the light that scatters the darkness away. But this time, the darkness is the darkness of your heart and mine. The emptiness of our lives without Jesus. And God speaks into it. Jesus is the light that is spoken into the darkness of your life. And Jesus is the form that is spoken into your emptiness. Jesus is the word that gives purpose to your everything. John says, in him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. I don't know where you are in your lives right now. You may feel a sense of meaningless. Your marriage may be on the rocks you may, um, you may be in a bad place with your kids right now, or you don't know where your kids are, you don't, you don't know what's going on with them. You may really be struggling in your work, or you're struggling to get work. Jesus speaks into that emptiness, y'all. He speaks into our darkness, and he gives it light. You may be in one of the worst seasons of your life right now, but know that the same God who created it all is so concerned to shine light into that existence for you. He cares deeply, deeply about shining light into your darkness and giving form to your emptiness. So let me encourage you to look to the main character of the whole story this morning. Look to the one who has actually walked on the stage and, and shown himself to you as the point of the whole thing. The creator is not distant. He's not impersonal or cold. He is near. He has made himself near by entering the story. And Jesus now promises you and me to bring hope to the hopeless. And he brings meaning to the meaningless. And he brings rest to the weary. Lyle even read it this morning where Jesus promises rest to you who are weary and heavy laden. But we've got to know, and if you know God's work in your life, you know this to be true. Sometimes sometimes shining light into the darkness isn't 
a beautiful thing. It's not a fun thing. It's not easy. Um, light scattering darkness can often be uncomfortable. If you're a teenager, you know this really well because you're sleeping in your room. You got it just like you like it. The curtains are closed. The darkness is there and your mom comes in, pulls those curtains open, turns that light on and says, it's time to get up. And you're screaming, no, 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 no. You tuck your head under the pillow. You, we hate the darkness when we're in that comfortable, we hate the light when we're in that comfortable place of darkness. We, we don't like the way that feels for the light to shine. But Jesus cares so much about us that he is interested in turning the light on in a moment and shining his light into the darkness that we're often very comfortable with. We want to hide. We want to stay there. We don't want him to deal with us. But he cares. Or let's illustrate it like this. The most uncomfortable chair I've ever been in is the chair that's in that, that first room on the left in my dentist office. Um, I hate that chair. It all started back uh, last December. Last December, we had about two or three weeks off when our students were out. And my wife decides that, you know, during those two or three weeks off, we might as well catch up on every doctor appointment you could ever imagine for our entire family. And so we booked no less than 16 appointments in two weeks or something like that. And one of mine was the dentist. I hadn't been to the dentist in a while. Uh, you know, like more than a couple years a while. And it was time for me to go to the dentist. I don't like it. Um, if any of you are dentists, I like you. I just don't necessarily like what you do. Um, I think I can speak for the rest of us. But here, here's how it started. In December, I go to the dentist office, and I get in that chair, and the dental hygienist comes in, and she does the whole you know, teeth prodding, poking thing that makes your mouth hurt. And she's looking around in there and cleans and does all that stuff. And then they do the x-rays and they put what feels to be a Frisbee in your mouth and they you have to bite down on it. It's terrible. And you do the x-rays and, and they do that whole thing. And then um, a, a few minutes pass by and then the actual dentist comes in and, and, the, and she shines this light. It's like an 8,000 watt light bulb, you know, nine inches from your face, shining down into my mouth, and she comes in, and my doctor, this was in December, and she says, well, I'm glad you're here because we have a few issues. <laughs> of course we do. Uh, it had been a little while, and so she starts asking me the normal questions. Have you been flossing? Eh. Uh, have you been brushing? For the most part. Uh, well, we have some things that need to be addressed. There were some nine or more problem areas that she wanted to address. So I spent the better part of January um, in that dentist chair yet again. A couple, a few appointments later and a few minor surgeries, minor to them later, uh, the darkness in my teeth was addressed. Now, here's the thing. <laughs> I was very comfortable not knowing the problems in my mouth. Very comfortable. I did not want that dentist to shine her 8,000 watt light bulb into my mouth and tell me what was wrong with it. We do not like being told what's wrong with us. I did not like it, and, but here's the thing. My wife told me, and she's right. She said, but if you don't get this addressed, then it's going to be a root canal, and it's going to hurt a lot worse, right? She's right, so I had it addressed, all that kind of stuff. Y'all, listen. John writes, the light shines into the darkness. Jesus so cares for you that he's going to shine his 8,000-watt light bulb of grace into the dark spots of your life and in mine. And he's going to scatter the darkness away, but we don't want him to sometimes. Because it makes us uncomfortable, but it's so good for us, because it's going to be far worse if he doesn't. 
And so by God's grace, he cares and he shines that light bulb of grace into the dark areas of our lives. And sometimes it hurts. Sometimes it means that you end up having an awfully hard conversation with your spouse. Those that we just dread. But that is God shining the light into the darkness. Sometimes it means that you have to get counsel with your finances, but you don't want to do that. But it's God shining the light into those dark areas. It means you go for advice. It means you address this in your life. It means you ask for accountability. It means exposing the darkness in your life. But God cares so much that he wants to address that darkness. Because listen, that's what he's been doing since day one. The setting of every story that's ever been told is darkness and emptiness. But the grace of God in every story that's ever been told is him giving form to that emptiness and him giving light to that darkness. It's what he's doing today. It's what he's always done for all of eternity. And he's what he's going to continue to do in your life. And praise be to the Lord of all creation that he cares so much for you and for me that he wants to address those dark places. Genesis 1 and John 1 are not unrelated. In the beginning was the Word. In the beginning, God. And God became flesh. The same Creator that spoke light into the darkness has not stopped speaking. The same Creator that gave form to the emptiness has not stopped giving form. The one who spoke everything into existence has not stopped speaking. The Creator cares for you. Jesus lived for you. So much so, he left his father's throne above, so free, so infinite his grace, and emptied himself of all but love and bled for Adam's helpless race. We are now living in this second act of God's great story. But the great thing about the second act is he has entered into it with us. The one who wrote the play has now set aside his pen and come and joined us on the stage. Watch him write your story and meet him as he does it. Let's pray. Uh, Jesus, thank you that you do care. You just do. And when we don't want you to, you keep caring. You keep prodding. You keep poking. You keep shining your light bulb into our dark places of our lives and exposing us for who we are. God, we need it. We need it. We pray that you would continue to love us with that kind of grace. Lord, I pray that you would keep making us uncomfortable so that we would be healed. Lord, I pray for this church that you would even expose dark areas in their own community, dark areas in the church and in each home here. But Lord, don't leave us there. Expose so that you can heal. Um, Bring up the darkness so that we will know your light as you meet us in it. God, I pray that we will see that you have entered into your story. And your entrance, your incarnation gives our lives real meaning and real purpose. And otherwise it doesn't have much. But Lord, you give it real meaning and purpose and hope and joy and life. I pray that we will know your grace in these ways. And I ask it in Jesus' name for your glory alone. Amen.